This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, hustle in the house. Yeah, hustle in the house. What is going on? I'm Rob Faye. Welcome to your Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the third day of December and I hope this podcast finds you well. Maybe your shopping's in the rearview mirror, but more than anything, I just want to make sure that everybody in your family is healthy. Hey, let's get to a bunch of stuff today. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks who can do no wrong. I didn't think a couple of weeks ago I'd ever be saying that, but they have won six of their past seven. New president, new coach, and they can do nothing but win. And I'll tell you why I think it's a good thing for this city and it couldn't have come at a better time. We'll talk about the Major League Baseball strike that is looming. It is Technically, right now, a lockout, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. We'll talk about the NFL and who is actually stepping up to the mic when everybody thought they might be fading away. And we will also get into the National Basketball Association, some big things happening there. But let me get you to that one story, the one story that rises above all the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. All right, so it's the only thing that anybody in Vancouver could talk about these days, or hell, the province of British Columbia, maybe even Canada right now. It is the sudden turnaround of the Vancouver Canucks, who at one point uh, needed the defib. Like, they were left for dead by the rest of the teams in the Pacific Division. The fan base was absolutely screaming bloody murder at anybody that would listen, whether it was Francesco, Jim Benning, Travis Green. Yours truly was on that hit parade as well. Yeah, it was a rough start to the season. There's no doubt about it. But Francesco finally got it done. And I don't know if it was just Francesco. Maybe that's how they're going to push it, like he reasserted himself within the organization. But the reality is, is I don't care how it got done, it got done. It was time to move on from Jim Benning, whether he's a great guy or not. It was time to move on from Travis Green, whether he was the fall guy or not. But I'm going to look at this one from a couple of different perspectives. I want to look at it from the player's perspective, the outgoing personnel's perspective, and dare I say, even the incoming perspective of Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreaux, who we will hear from before this segment is done. Now, let's start with the players, because I'm not going to let them off the hook, despite the fact that they've now won six out of seven, because wins and losses aside, there is no doubt that they had checked out on their coach. Do not let those wins against Ottawa and Montreal deceive you. Prior to that, the body of work, you can say that it was the PK and the power play. You can say that it was the systems that were implemented. And you know what? You may have a case, a very flimsy case, but that's fine. But most NHL players can get around certain X's and O's that happen to be in the wrong spot. But when you check out on a coach, it is glaringly noticeable. Again, I'm not here to bitch slap the Vancouver Canucks considering they're riding this huge wave of success and everybody in this city is happy and Bruce, there it is. Save that for another day. But I do believe that they had checked out on Travis Green. And I do believe that it was shown on the ice. So the reason that I bring this to the forefront is because there's certain things here that are acceptable. Hey, you don't want to play for this coach? That's fine. You don't like the systems that he's got on the whiteboard? That's fine. But you had fans in the stands that took their hard-earned money and came to your game to cheer you on expecting to get your best. And you cheated them out. 
maybe this isn't the right time to say it because everybody's sitting around talking about how great life is and how they're finally finding their way back into the conversation of the Pacific Division, but make no mistake about it. You cannot get around the fact that the Vancouver Canucks mailed in the first third of this season and that they had fans in the stands that took their hard-earned money, went and bought tickets to go see them play, and go through the motions. So yes, everybody in Canuck Nation is happy right now, but let's never forget those who got gypped in the stands. Sorry, I, I had to say it just because I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration. You expect your team to play hard no matter what when you're on home ice. And I know they didn't. I know they had checked out. And I think they'll never say it publicly, but I think we all know because we've seen enough hockey to know when a team is playing for its coach and when it's not that they weren't. He ends up getting the boot and all of a sudden they magically reemerge. Like, don't get me wrong, it's great to see them rattle off four wins in a row, but there's no way that Bruce Boudreaux comes in and unties that many shackles from the Vancouver Canucks' wrists. They had another gear, they finally wanted to use it, and they finally got to use it, and that's fine. The Vancouver Canucks are pros, they'll figure it out, but I still look at the fans thinking, man, do you had a ticket to one of those early games this season when the Canucks were going through the paces? I'd want my money back. I really would. All right, let's talk about what this would look like to Jim Benning and what this might look like to Travis Green. It's been about, what, a week and a half since they've been a part of this organization. And I would imagine that even though it stings a little bit, they're probably still very happy for this team. Like, don't get me wrong, there's not a lot of people that will never look back and say, damn it, screw these guys. Like, yeah, Travis Green probably needed a break. Jim Benning, after eight years, probably needed a break. But the one thing, if I can say that I have not been a fan of, and it has nothing to do with Travis Green, it has nothing to do with Jim Benning, who have been gracious in their departures, is what is Francesco Aquilini doing tweeting? How hockey's fun again, and it's great to win again, and all of a sudden he's acting like they've resurrected hockey in this city. Like, dude, you can't just be there for the good times. And I actually looked at that tweet from two different perspectives. One, you got a happy owner that finally figured it out, and now the heat is starting to turn down on his ass. You don't go onto social media and talk about how, quote, hockey is fun again a week after you fired your head coach. You just don't do it. You keep quiet, you act like you've been there before, and you just move on. I, I, I saw that tweet, and I thought to myself, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal in those circles because you know what? You just don't. I feel like you could just be more of a professional, but that's just me. All right, let's talk about what this looks like for Bruce Boudreau and for Jim Rutherford. You got to remember Rutherford coming over after an abrupt departure from his time with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brian Burke coming in to take that position. And Jim Rutherford, although he did not leave the Penguins minor league system in very good shape, I mean, it's one of the thinnest in all of the NHL. And the fact that they had a couple of first-round exits, I mean, it was not a perfect end to his tenure with the Penguins. But you can't get past the fact that he has been a part of a three-time Stanley Cup winning organization. He was on the clock for three Stanley Cups, and that is something that I think in Vancouver buys him more than enough good graces. But Bruce Boudreaux is the interesting one for me because Boudreaux comes into a situation for the third time of his four postings in the NHL midseason. And it's kind of like the substitute teacher. Like, you go in there... Yeah, sure, maybe you use a little bit of the curriculum that the regular guy left for you, but chances are you're just going to let the guys have fun for a period, and as long as they don't make a bunch of noise, you're going to be fine, and you'll be the cool substitute teacher. But as this team goes, what will he truly 
implement? What can you take from the previous teams that he had had, whether it was Minnesota, whether it was Anaheim, whether it was Washington? And I got to be honest, I'm excited about it because the one thing that he has always been is offense, 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 offense. And I think this is a team that has been desperate to showcase what they can do in transition, desperate to pressure the puck, desperate to play the 200-foot game, but in a way that allows him to skate, that allows him to move the puck in. You know what? Bruce Boudreaux, maybe he doesn't have to do a lot. Maybe he puts a little bit more onto his players saying, you wanted to do this? You want to do it your way? Go for it. If there's something that I want to change, I'll let you know. Go out there and just play your asses off. He's obviously done a little bit of work on special teams. Scott Walker's had a hand in it, but it's just been the perfect storm. He walked into a situation where a fan base and a team was just so disconnected from its head coach and its general manager that realistically, so long as he didn't come in and get bombed 8-1 in that first game, yeah, Bruce, there it is, was the chance that we're going to rain throughout the concourse out towards the SkyTrain. So as we look at it from all these different perspectives, where are the Vancouver Canucks? Well, mathematically, 29 games into the season, which is one-third of the season, they are seventh of the eight teams in the Pacific. But the good news is there's 53 games remaining. Plenty of time. There's 106 points out there. Surely they can find six more because six more gets them into that final wildcard spot in the Pacific Division. Oh, I know. We're thinking in much different pieces than we were even just two weeks ago, but that is what happens when you finally get things right. Again, the Canucks have won six out of seven. That is a big deal. That's hard to do. And the last thing I'll say on this is you got to remember one other thing as well. In order for the Canucks to truly make headway here, not only do they have to win, but the teams above them have to falter. And in Alberta, it has been a challenge. Edmonton has lost five games in a row. Calgary's lost four in a row. And now they're not going to play for, what, a week because of a COVID breakout? Six players that are no longer available to them for the next week? This is where the Vancouver Canucks, who have won four in a row, have a chance to make up this ground. If you'd have told me that with all of the shit show that has gone on in Vancouver, that they would be six points back of Edmonton? would have questioned your sobriety. Now, don't get me wrong. Edmonton's got three games in hand. Most of the teams ahead of them have at least one or two games in hand with the exception of Anaheim. But without me asking you to get your pen and your pad of paper out, it simply is a combination of them winning and getting a little help from above. But realistically, by this time next week, when you and I get together next Monday, three more games in the tank for Vancouver. And if they can even win two out of those three, yeah. They're right back in the mix. Maybe they leap over Los Angeles. Maybe they catch up to San Jose. And right now, all I think you can do as a fan is sit back and say, this is pretty cool considering where we were just a couple of weeks ago. All right, let's take a look at the rest of the sports. We've got baseball, basketball, football. We're going to get into all of this stuff across the board. This is your one-stop shop. By the time your commute is done, I want to make sure you're the smartest kid at the water cooler the next day. And uh, more than anything, I'm happy to just be having a conversation with you. This is Sports Bar Radio. Let me get you to that back room where we house all of our information. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, so don't usually lead with the UFC, but this past weekend at UFC 269, an upset that is worthy of front page news. Juliana Pena said she was going to do it, and then she went out and did it. She beat the double champion Amanda Nunez 
by tapping her out in the second round. Three minutes, 26 seconds if you're splitting hair. Uh, Pena had already hurt Nunez. They were going back and forth, blow for blow. A little bit longer reach, and more than anything, she was really hitting her spots before she took her to the ground, moved her to her back, and then locked her in with a rear naked choke. And it was over. Amanda Nunez tapping out. Let's remember something here. As good as Amanda Nunez is, that loss makes her 21-5. and So she wasn't perfect going into the fight, but since she won that title, nobody has even come close. As for Pena, if you bet on her, you're probably rich today because it was a plus 650 and goes down as the second biggest upset on the woman's side of the UFC ledger. The only one bigger according to Vegas was Holly Holmes' victory over Ronda Rousey at UFC 195 back in November of 2015. Now, Nunez in the first round looked real good. She actually dropped Pena with a right hand about three minutes into the fight and then went on to smile at Pena at the close of the round. But the second was a completely different story. Nunez's face turning beet red, shots to the chin, starting to breathe heavier. Some were saying that she was gassed in this fight as well, but she didn't back down, continued to trade shots with Pena, who ended up outstriking her 90-58 to including 79-46 in significant strikes. It's the first time that Amanda Nunez has lost since 2014 when she lost to Katzengano. She went on to win 12 fights in a row, multiple weight class winner. And if you really want to get into the details, it's the first time since December 2019 that she's dropped from 145, had to cut some weight so that she could fight at this weight class and ends up losing the belt to Juliana Pena. Well, before we get into the NFL, I'll have to circle back on the Canadian Football League, the Grey Cup taking place, and man, it was a great game. For those who watched it, you probably loved it. Tiger Cats with a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter, but a Nick Dembski touchdown, a couple of field goals from Sergio Castile, and the Blue Bombers send the game to overtime, where a Darvin Adams touchdown and a wild Kyrie Wilson interception gave Winnipeg back-to-back Grey Cups. And I will say to the Canadian Football League and their truncated season, good on them for getting to the finish line. It wasn't pretty at times. There was a reduced schedule, but they found a way to get this done, and the Grey Cup goes to Winnipeg. And by the way, that is definitely going to be a tough pill for Hamilton to swallow, knowing that they were up in the fourth quarter only to let it slip through their fingers. Well, to the NFL, four weeks to go in the regular season. And before we get to the standings and who is where, 36 NFL players this morning reporting positive COVID-19 tests. And that is up significantly. Only 14 reported tests in the previous two weeks combined. And then today, and a Monday is the day where everybody does the reported testing. So again, that number might be a little bit of a swell, but it is a significant swell to the fact that maybe the NFL might be changing some of their COVID policies and really securing these players and the coaching staff in the final few weeks, because this is the moneymaker. This is where you get to the postseason and you start to bring in the dough. So last thing you need is a widespread COVID outbreak, not just in society, of course, but within the National Football League. You know, it, it kind of makes me think how we're going to deal with this next wave because you know that it's coming. British Columbia is eventually going to get this wave, the Omicron or whatever it's called. There's another variant that is on the horizon. And, um, you know, it's funny because as I walk around, I don't judge. I'm not really big at the finger pointing per se, but I will say that this is not going to go away. I think in the beginning we thought it was going to be, well, maybe it'll be a year. And then we're like, oh, this could be two to three years. But I think this is just one of those things that for now is just a part of society. And it's unfortunate because it's one of those things that I think has really polarized us left and right, up versus down. And it's just really brought out the worst in some of us. 
But what I will say is when it comes to sport, it is amazing to me how we are so different in Canada than we are in the United States. For example, you turn on the TVs, college football, college basketball, all that stuff. I mean, it's almost like it doesn't even exist. And here in Canada, we try to take precautions. We do the best that we can. But a lot of our leagues are linked to the United States. NHL's linked. NBA's linked. Major League Baseball's linked. Major League Soccer's linked. There's a lot of pressure on our government and us as a country and a society to make sure that we can keep active and compete against these teams from the states where it seems like their laws are a lot more relaxed, or at least in majority of the states. I know New York State's trying to do the best they can, but anyways, I just look at a team like the Vancouver Canadians, for example. This is a team that absolutely unequivocally cannot go through another missed season out at Nat Bailey. And you see what is on the horizon. And you see that even though we're going to have another wave, and there's probably going to be several more waves, like realistically, the only way that these waves don't crash down is if we're all vaccinated. That's just science. And I'm not going to get into this because if you're listening and you don't believe in vaccinations, that is to you. I just know I got vaccinated because in addition to having me feel more comfortable going out into society, I would like to think that the people around me, if they know that I'm vaccinated, feel a little more comfortable around me as well. But anyways... I just look at certain teams and I say, I don't know if they can get through that again. Like the White Caps, I think they could. But you look at teams like the West Coast Baseball League. You know, Nanaimo's trying to get their season started and Victoria's trying to get their season started. The Vancouver Canadians are trying to get their season started. Vancouver Giants have to dip into the States unless they're going to do the Canadian bubble again. There's just so many things that are up in the air right now and I just feel terrible. Like, the Vancouver Canadians are the best example because, I mean, Vancouver Canadians, even though they don't have quote-unquote housing families now that they've got this new recipe in minor league baseball and how they house their players, they're the only team in Canada. And if they can't get across the border and the teams can't get up here from across the border, they're dead in the water. They can't do another season down in Portland or Hillsborough, if you want to be exact. So I really, really, really have my fingers crossed. And even from a wrestling perspective, like we're now with Nation Extreme Wrestling booking shows into April and May. And we're booking them with the confidence that our society, at least in this region, is going to be able to handle this so that we can get through it and the doors can remain open. And even if you have to wear a mask inside our venue, at least you are in our venue and we're still entertaining you. But these waves are not going to go away. And what we have to do as a society is finally mask up, get vaccinated, and do the best that we can to make sure that when these waves come, they don't hit hard. And uh, to all of those who have lost loved ones to COVID, and we forget about this sometimes. Sometimes we get so caught up on our own soapbox of what we believe to be true. There's families out there that have lost loved ones to this virus. Even if we just speak a little quieter, a little softer, just to make sure that we pay our respects to those who died and families were affected by. I mean, that's a part of the equation, guys. It really is. So again, I'm going to stick to sports, but I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, that when this wave hits us, and it is coming, guys, like there's no two ways about it. You see it in the UK. uh, You see it across the world. You see it in Alberta. You see it down in the States. It is coming. So we just have to be ready for it. And let's hope we can uh, keep our sports teams on the field, on the ice, on the pitch, wherever they are, just to make sure that we can continue Uh, to enjoy something that even for a couple of hours takes us away from the reality of what we're living in right now. All right, let's do it again tomorrow, shall we? Sports Bar Radio, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know every once in a while we miss a day. It's just because the wrestling 
He's so big right now. It's crazy. I mean, maybe tomorrow's the day I'll sit down and just tell you what's been going on behind the scenes because it is really, I don't even know how to describe it. I need the day. All right, so let's get together tomorrow. Uh, thank you for listening. To everybody over to Equity Guru, to Chris Perry, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. My voice has been a little raspy today. I'm sure you picked up on it. Trying to keep that cold away. I just said to somebody the other day, I haven't gotten a cold in a year, and wouldn't you know it, the throat's been a little uh, sore and gravelly. But doing my best to drink the old uh, herbal tea and take some water, but... Uh, it is what it is. Until you and I do it again tomorrow. Hopefully I'm a little better. You're ready to rock and we can do this all again. This has been Sports Bar Radio, brought to you by Equity Guru. As always, I'll see you in a few. <laughs>